Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to read just a, a uh, short three verses in the very opening of the book of Acts. This is a, what we would call an Easter message. I have no problem calling it Easter. It is an Easter message. <clears throat> but I want to read first before we, before we pray, before we're seated. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. And so I, I'm, I'm meaning to say in, in that introduction that I'm not here to just get all preachy. I'm here to be obedient to the word of the Lord tonight. I want to speak the word of the Lord. I want to speak about the importance of truth and the resurrection regardless of whether it tickles you and makes you feel good. What I want to do is preach what I feel God has given me tonight. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Can you say amen? amen. Until the day in which he was taken up after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also, that is the apostles, he showed himself alive. Everyone say alive. alive. After his passion, or that word is just another way of saying his suffering, and it's singular. After his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, I know you're weary, but I want to read it one more time. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And my message tonight is entitled, Many Infallible Proofs. Could you lay your Bibles down and could we pray together? Maybe you want to reach out to someone else, but at least lift your hearts and let's ask God to anoint the ministry tonight. Father, your word is worthy and we come tonight, Lord, not to just be see a, a reed shaken in the wind, not for any other reason, but then to bring glory to, the, to God and to your word and your truth. I pray that we will be instruments, Lord, as unworthy as we are. I pray that we will see your mighty hand tonight and that we will see your, your will be accomplished, Lord, in this church and through this people. We give you praise for it, God, and ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Praise God. You, and you may be seated. Thank you. You've been very, 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 very kind. To whom also he showed himself alive after many infallible proofs and so I want to speak of this now I'm going to do this in in three steps it, it's going to be a bit more laborious perhaps than than I would usually do and and maybe that sound like I'm making apologies for it but I'm going to first look at the cross and then I'm going to look at the tomb and then I'm going to look at the witnesses. Now someone will say, well, are those many infallible proofs? Well, I'll let you decide in the end. I'm not going to preach about every single proof. I'm simply here to, to tell you that there is good reason to believe in the resurrection. In fact, the word here used, infallible proofs, that's one Greek word, by the way, Tecmerion or Merion, Tecmerion is an interesting word, but the reason I'm drawing attention to it is that there, there's some interest in how would you translate the word because it's really a word that means a proof, or I'll say proof because the King James goes with it and I like it, but actually 
the King James has translated infallible proofs. And when we think of something infallible, well, we know what that means. I'm not going to get into a, 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 a deep word analysis here. I'm simply pointing out that we have a word that, uh, that requires a certain amount of thought, and that is that when we think of this uh, tech Marion, we, we know that this is not just proofs like, okay, here's, here's the paper, and there's your proof. But it, it has other words that have to be attached to it. You can't just say, uh, and you, you don't have to say, I don't have to run the aisles. I, I'm going to preach this tonight. I believe there are many infallible proofs that accompany the truth of the gospel. That the devil thinks he makes fun of him. He doesn't care. You know, well, I don't understand you Pentecostals. Well, I want to tell you something. I don't understand somebody that can know that there's a heaven and a hell and not prepare themselves. I don't. I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. Someone said, well, I was, there's dinosaur bones. Someone just recently, and well, I'm and Wednesday night here. I'm, oh, Jesus. So Wednesday night I'm teaching about dinosaur bones. And, and mainly because just guys go, oh, the dinosaur bones. And I want to say you're resting your whole eternity on the dinosaur bones? Have you ever seen one? No, I never saw one, but, you know, you've seen the latest movie and was convinced that they're this and they're that and they're proof that God didn't do anything. I said, well, that's, that's a very foolish stance to take because you and I both know there's more to life than just the breath you and I are breathing right now. There's got to be. Many infallible proofs. So here we have a word that means proof, or we'll, we'll leave it that for a moment, but it requires a word to go with it. Now, generally speaking, uh, I didn't have time to think up through why the King James translators went with infallible. Uh, <clears throat> I would have personally never just looked at the word and thought it, the word infallible. I understand that it's true and it's right. I'm not uh, quarreling with it. I'm simply saying that basically this word means that it is an evidence. It is an evidence or proof. Now, see, I've switched the word now. But it's, it's really simply the word evidence. So the, the evidence of the resurrection, the evidence of Jesus Christ, it, there, there are no other evidences. You want to know why the devil's fighting Jesus' name baptism? Because it is an evidence of the resurrection. We are, it is the death, burial, and resurrection. For example, if you could tell God, I don't care about baptism. I'm getting to heaven my own way. Then it, what does it matter? God isn't interested in you telling him how you're supposed to be baptized. No, I just need you to tell him. He ain't like, oh, oh, thank you. I, I, I don't know why I insisted on baptism. Just like we have all these theologians that are just about Easter time. It's a few days away here. And the, I don't know which one, but I haven't even looked this year. But usually the front cover of some magazine is going to say, well, Jesus never rose from the dead. And it was a hoax. And they'll have all the, these books. There's dozens of them. I mean, there's so many. It's unbelievable. And uh, like Schoenfield's, his is maybe the most famous. But where they, they, one, one theory is that they, they were tricking everybody. And they, they put uh, this uh, drug uh, in, in a sponge. And, and, uh, and it's called the swoon theory. That's maybe the most popular theory that they that they pushed it up to his lips, and, and when, he, when he got the, uh, the drug in his body, it made it appear as though he were dead. And I've told several people that that takes far more, far more faith to believe that he swooned on the cross, and, that, and of course, that's where I'm going. But to, there are evidences of his resurrection that are demonstrable. Do you know what I mean by that? That's, that's another way of saying uh, uh, what is the King James saying? Let me look at it again. Uh, I, I want to say irrefutable, but infallible. Infallible proofs. All those words are, are true and correct of this word. But the, it, it, they are demonstrable proofs. Now, someone might say, well, every proof has got to be demonstrable. Well, yes, yes, but this is a little more, this is a little more interesting. That when you talk about a religion that is based on someone that can, you can demonstrate that the cross shows that Jesus really died. 
He really died. So it said, well, and I'm going to tell you why they're all out there writing the books. Because they know if Jesus really died and came back, then he's got to be more than just a man. They know it. Yes, they do. Now, so he did really die. Now, of course, when we say he really died, we are speaking of a medical a, a, a medical evidence, we could say. I think that would be acceptable. I don't want to get too excited here. Um, so uh, I'm going to calm down. So, uh, so we know that there is a very rare uh, condition that is known as hematidrosis, which is a, of course, hemoglobin, and so on. That's where the word comes from, so it has to do with the blood. It took years to figure out that there can be a chemical breakdown that is caused by certain, whatever it's caused by. I'm not an expert. I'm just simply telling you that it is an actual, uh, an actual thing in which the capillaries... In the sweat glands, usually this is caused by tremendous stress, but I mean, that's, I'm not an expert. I'm just telling you, look it up, any medical book, medical evidence, that the capillaries break down under great duress in the glands. And it's not a lot of blood, but there is bleeding that mixes in the sweat gland with sweat. And when this happens, then it is possible for small amounts. Now, you wouldn't maybe think it was a small amount. If somebody began bleeding through the pores of their skin, the actual King James text says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Now I know the devil doesn't intend for me to preach this at all. He doesn't he doesn't want it. He wants me to just go be all excited and so on. He wants us to just go right on to the next thing, but God intends that we have a faith that is built on infallibility. It is based upon truth and not lies and pretense. Then there is in addition to his uh, early stages of uh, of praying so hard that he uh, begins to have blood come into the pores of his skin, what we I'm going to refer to as the brutality of the flogging itself. I'm trying to show you that he really died and that he died for you and that he died for me and that he died for Jonesboro. He died for my neighbor. He died for this city. Yes, he did. So they would take a braided, this is Roman, I, I don't have to be a genius to say this, you know it, I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend I'm a genius. Braided leather that they would weave metal into the braid with bone. Now this is common knowledge, you don't have to be a, a Roman genius even though I have studied Latin and so forth and, and ancient cultures because it's part of, it's just something I did. But, uh, but you don't have to do that to have known that. These elements woven into the braid could make, according to Roman history, such deep cuts that within the first three or four blows, the metal and the bone would begin to cut away and expose first the spine. So that you would actually see, those observing it would suddenly see the skin pulled away. One study shows that muscle would shred so quickly, not just the skin, but the muscle beneath. And certainly the skin would be ripped away and would expose the organs. And I know I'm bothering some of you, but I'm not going to stop it. I'm going to preach to you for a moment. He really died. And some idiot, some fool that would say that they whipped him with the cat of, of, of nine tails and, and beat him so severely that he, and then he swooned and walked away. They're absolutely foolish. 
Men died often before the crucifixion simply because of what they called hypovolemic shock, which is Latin for meaning it caused from such excessive bleeding. Therefore, the word hypo, that, uh, that uh, shock would result from low blood. The blood would get so low. Then the heart would try to compensate. So this is what we would call hypovolemic. That the heart then, uh, for example, the doctors told me the other day, uh, uh, you, you need to cut the popcorn up. I said, well, that's never going to happen. Uh, no, I didn't say that. Um, of course, I immediately went home and was craving popcorn. I could hardly wait to eat popcorn, but... Uh, he said, and that's because the salt, you can't, you know, unless you want, you know, unless you can eat popcorn with no salt. Because he said, that will affect you. And because I listened to him just one uh, week, I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm just saying just one week, what he said to do so altered what he was attempting to accomplish in my blood and, and in my body that, uh, of course, the one thing that bothered me the most was he said, you've got to lose weight. Now, Reverend, you've got to lose weight. And I said, it's none, that's really none of your business. And I didn't say that either. I didn't say that. But it, just listening to him and saying, okay, this is what I, w- I will do. I'm going to listen. I understand what you're saying. Now, I like to know what they mean. If they, if they want me to do something, then, you know, I'm 60 years old. I want to be I want to be clear. I want to understand the purpose of something. We've been through all kinds of medical things. And Sister French has had cancer. She's had uh, cancer surgery twice. And, and, and we just listen. When, uh, when Ryan had open heart surgery, we would sit and we, they would write notes. I still got the notes that, that uh, Dr. Al wrote of his, of his heart. And he would show us the, what, what the Dr. Sullivan was going to do when he went in. And so that ju- what I'm trying to tell you is that sometimes the, the slightest thing can make Make an enormous difference if you simply understand medically what's going on. But just think of someone whose body has been beaten with a, with such a force that the muscle and the and the skin is ripped away and the blood is excessive and I'm trying to know this is a little gross but uh, when you begin to rip muscle away and then you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and I'm trying to be I'm, I'm trying to leave it there but I'm telling you that in the end the heart suddenly the loss of that blood creates an enormous response such a response that the body doesn't know what to do it's called hypovolemic It begins to cry out. It begins beating so fast to pump the blood that is not there. And then it begins to try to to, uh, deal with the fact that there's blood loss. Blood pressure is dropping. And then there is another response in hypovolemic conditions, which which would be brought on by many things, but certainly this, that, that when the blood... Uh, levels are dropping as they are. The kidneys uh, stop producing in order to maintain the blood level where it is. The body says, okay, uh, stop, the, stop working because we've got to keep the blood levels as, as, as carefully as we can. And so we'll just kind of talk this way for a minute. The kidney center begins to say, we've got to shut everything down. And this then produces, you don't have to be a genius to know it excessive thirst to where the body begins to crave it it's as though it, it the thirst the, the thought that it, like i've been on a desert island suddenly the loss of blood has produced this most people aren't sure how crucifixion even kills its victims and so some have made such suggestions as Jesus might have survived and go to some island. I forget what book that was. But anyway, uh, and then Jesus, uh, uh, he, he, they got him down. They, they snuck him out of there. He really wasn't dead and so forth. But he, and then he escaped, obviously. Now, l- let's be honest for just a moment. Really honest about the death of Christ. The vertical beam was the permanent part of the cross. It, in other words, it was in the ground. It was the, the Latins called it the patibulum, which means it was the, it was the permanent post. But there was a separate uh, loose portion 
that would be the part upon which they would lay Jesus and his arms upon it. Rather, very, very large, of course. And uh, so Jesus would have been immediately, uh, there, there's, there's the post, they would have laid him down and first nailed his hands to this separate being. Hands outstretched, arms stretched. In fact, most authorities say, I'm not a genius, but this isn't, doesn't take much rocket science to figure out that the stretching of the arms to, in, to accomplish what had to be done in order to push the weight of the body upon the feet and the nails would be to take seven-inch spikes. And basically, the ancient world considered the wrist, and the, the wrist was the hand. So uh, most people believe that the, the seven-inch spike went right about here. And, uh, and this, of course, that was still to the ancient world the hand, and, and thus why the Bible says it was in his hand. And so it was, if there is some question of it, but it was driven through his hand. Can you say amen? So it was driven through, with, and uh, then uh, there would be the, the hoisting of the individual upon the crossbeam. Then the nails would be driven through the feet. The nerves, of course, would be crushed in the process in the pounding of the nails. And this would produce what many doctors say is the most excruciating pain known to man. I, of course, am simply quoting. The stretching, though, of the arms to such an extent that would include possibly as much as six inches beyond their normal uh, abilities would dislocate them. This, of course, fulfills Psalm 22, which says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. And so it was that Jesus was hung upon Calvary. Once vertical, the cause of death is a slow but agonizing asphyxiation. That is, he couldn't breathe. The muscles and the diaphragm are the cause of this medically and are so stressed, that is, that he cannot exhale without tearing the nails through the feet because the feet do not have the same bone structure. And therefore, if you attempt to move in such a way as to exhale because as we know if we are thinking about it you cannot breathe unless you exhale then you can breathe in the air that would keep you alive otherwise you are going to die and thus it goes on and on this attempt to to breathe until complete exhaustion takes over the human body And so it was that Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to pay the price for every living being. I am going to give myself a ransom knowing exactly what it meant. Sister French has often said that I am a baby and uh, when it comes to, she doesn't say that very often, but She'll say it if if there's a doctor or a needle. And she'll say, honey, you're just a baby. Come on, it's not that bad. And I'll say, well, it's my body, and it seems bad to me. But the truth is, you know, if you had to endure, of course, you would have to endure. But to know ahead of time I have a choice, I don't have to endure this. I can, I can just say, no, no I'm, not going, I'm not going to do it. Are they really, really worth it? <clears throat> In addition to all that I've described, crucifixion would bring on what is known as respiratory acidosis, which causes an acid to pour into the blood, producing an irregular heartbeat that would then cause us what I think of it as congestive. But there are different medical terms. I'm not trying to be expert here. I'm simply uh, being general here. So that the heart would become so erratic that it would be known immediately that death is, is coming. Because what then happens is 
that water would uh, begin to build very large amounts and would produce cardiac arrest or, or heart failure. So as the heart fails, the fluid would collect in the membrane around the heart, causing what is known as a pericardial effusion, and then also around the lungs themselves, known as a pleural effusion, quite a bit of water would then be formed. That's why John said they pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. So Roman execution allowed for the criminal's legs to be broken because if they didn't break the legs, they would continue to push up and be able to stay alive and exhale. But when they came to Jesus, see, he was already dead. So in other words, a man that was trained to know when someone is dead, trained to know how to kill, so you know that this individual is dead, said, all right, I'm not going to break his legs. We have, in other words, the Testimony. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. The testimony of a Roman unbelieving soldier that said, this man is dead. I will not break his legs. Of course, he didn't know it, but he was fulfilling prophecy. Verse 30, 34 said, when they saw he was dead, they left him alone. Hallelujah. So to confirm death, They'd driven the spear up through his ribs. Most think it was the right side for whatever medical reason it is. And therefore, it would then have gone into his heart. And the blood and water would drain. And and therefore, why John says so, and he was dead. So think, my friend, Jesus accepted this mission to suffer on the cross for all these hours. And I say to you, if that isn't love, then the oceans are not wet. If that isn't love, then I don't know what love is. Can we just lift our hands and praise God for just a moment? I thank you, Lord. And I praise you, God, because you are good and because you did all of this for me. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Now, I want to move on uh, past the real death to the missing body. The difficulty, of course, isn't the body being missing. It's that he had been seen alive. People knew he really existed. His name was Jesus and so on and so forth. He was actually quite well known. And then he was seen dead. And we just had to deal with that because of all this speculation that he didn't really die and he went, went off to some island or whatever. But then, after having been seen dead, he was seen alive again. And ain't nobody done that. There's no such thing as that. Once that news got out, we suddenly had a religion on our hands. We had a gospel on our hands. <laughs> Praise God. Someone said, I don't, I don't want to be baptized. And I want to say to them, you mean you don't want to be baptized? When Jesus went to the cross, he died a death for you, and you think you don't have to be baptized? What is it with you? I want to tell you something. Baptize my whole everything, Lord. I want to give myself to the one. The Bible said that Jesus appeared to John with this theological explanation. That, of course, is revelation. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Could you clap your hands and thank God for it? Oh, yes. I am he. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to quote, I'm going to move on from Acts 1 to Acts 2. Now, I'm not going to preach forever. Just give me a few minutes here. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read from the ESV for certain reasons, which I don't have time to explain. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to, to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, verse 23, this Jesus... Everyone say, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. 
you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, I'm reading ESV. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We need to let the devil know we serve a Lord that there is no devil can hold him down. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Someone says to me, I hear it all the time. Well, you know, Reverend, you're just way too uh, naive or you're way too believing or you're just way too, you know, for somebody that should know better. I mean, I would think with all this and that you would have long ago. had One guy even said, uh, I don't know why you haven't discarded all that old, all those old ideas. As though, uh, you know, you get to a certain point where you just wake up one day and say, well, I'm, I'm smarter than all of that. Jesus' blood. One, one, there's, you can't imagine the books that are being written in the theological centers of our world these days that are saying nobody's blood could ever atone for anybody. In fact, they say that's the most grotesque thing that there ever was. But I say to you, the blood. Thank God for the blood. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Death came, but it could not hold him. If death held him, it would be no different than anybody else. But death, it was not possible that death could hold him. Verse 27 from the King James, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And everyone said amen. And thirdly, the witnesses to his being alive again. Now, the reason the witnesses are critical to the conclusion of this message of many infallible proofs is what is known in uh, crime or courts or, let's say, CSIs, is uh, common, let's just call it cause and effect. For example, someone might say, well, nobody could ever prove creation because you'd have to be there. See? You got it? Can't prove creation. Now listen. Okay, let's, let's not go that way. Because some of you are not believing me and you're way too tired. All right, let's say you couldn't prove evolution. Because you can't be there. You can't even scientifically reproduce it. Therefore, it really isn't scientific. It's a belief. Based on cause and effect based on not because somebody was there and said, oh, I saw a uh, tadpole turn into something else. No, because nobody could do that because it took, uh, it took literally billions of years according to the, uh, the theory for evolution to, and I'm not preaching evolution, I'm just trying to tell you. I could have said the same is true of creation. You're not going to prove creation because you sat there and watched God create the world and say, let there be light. And all of a sudden, now I'm going to tell you it happened, but I don't know it because I was sitting there watching it from a nearby star. I know it because of cause and effect. When I look at my world and I see what's going on, I see a man that's living. He's crucified and he comes back. That's cause and effect. I know something wonderful has happened. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, my goodness. Perhaps no one witnesses say a crime. But police piece together the evidence after the fact. That is, you don't have to be there and see the murder to know there was a murder. You're able to go back from that particular event. You don't have to be an eyewitness and be right there. What is important about the witness is the cause and effect. I saw him die. I was there. I know he died. 
I was at the foot of the cross. I was there when Mary reached out for him. I know what happened. I know the blood that was draining from his every muscle. I saw it in his eyes. He was was in anguish. And I saw them as they got Simon and pushed the cross over upon, upon Simon and forced him to carry his cross. I was there. And then I was there when the sun and the earth begin to darken and begin to shake. And whatever, I'm simply trying to tell you that when you have someone, I'm a witness to something that proves the cause and effect that the Bible says is true. Then we then recognize that Calvary becomes an evidence Just as real as Sherlock Holmes, or of course Sherlock Holmes isn't real, but you understand what I'm saying? The very same thing that people like Sherlock Holmes are doing in cause and effect is exactly what Calvary does. Here is a man that was healing the sick and raising the dead. Oh, I'm going to tell you the devil's mad tonight. I don't care what he says. I'm telling you that Jesus is greater than the very forces of hell. He, they will never come against the living God. They can strike him down, but he's going to come out of that grave. That's who he is. <laughs> so Jesus died. And then he appeared to the people later after his death. Then you have established two things which are evidence or infallible proofs that you have now proven the case of resurrection. So Paul wrote, I have not, have I not, that's the way the King James says it, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? I'm a witness. He walked right in this room and I saw him. Now, I'm not going to pause, but just a moment. Those of you that think this is another uh, far too lengthy moment because it isn't. But there's an entire genre of theology that tries to explain the witnesses away. For example, the apostle Paul, I just mentioned him. That he saw the Lord, but he had a whole lot of pizza. And it was pepperoni. Honestly, I've never heard anybody say that. But they usually say, he was a religious man. He wanted so desperately that he imagined it or something like that. That's generally called the uh, psychological theory. didn't really see Jesus. So they'll try to explain it away. But then Paul goes on to say he appeared to Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for Peter. Oh, some of you, I can tell you, way bored, bored, bored out of your skull. So here is Paul arguing for the validity of Jesus and all the things of Christ. And he says, have I, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Am I not a witness? And then skips down a little bit. He appeared to Cephas using an Aramaic term, which is uh, very, very, it, it's not the first time it comes up, but it is interesting that it appears here. Then to the 12, everyone say the 12. Then he appeared, I'm, I'm quoting now from, from the King James. Then he appeared to more than 500 Look at that, Brother French. That is the King James's, and I wrote it out by memory, but I'm, I want to be sure. I, I'm at 1 Corinthians 15 and 5. Okay, I'm almost done. Here, Paul's. Here we have it. Then, verse 6, I'm, verse six, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 5 and 6 and 7. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers. Is that King James? 500 brethren. Brethren? Okay. Well, I said brothers. Of, Lord, forgive me. He appeared to 500 brothers. Does it say at one time? At once. At, at once. Okay. I think what I did is I just was writing it out from just, you know, that's wasn't quoting it, thinking I was almost quoting it. Then he appeared to more than 500 brethren. Verse 7, then he appeared 
I almost tempted to have the French read it, but then he appeared to James. Is that what it says? Okay, then to all the apostles. Okay, this this may be uh, maybe ESV. I may have been using ESV. Then appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Verse eight. What's it say? Yeah, last of all, he was seen of me. Now, the problem here is there is no biblical account anywhere else in the Bible that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. Only Paul tells us that. In fact, the truth is, there may have been a whole lot of people that saw Jesus that we don't even know about. Right. <laughs> Paul said there was that day we were up there. Now Matthew mentions that he appeared on the um, what what what's the I'm trying to get the King James in my head that he Jesus appeared on the uh, on the on the mount. I think, or something like that. I can't remember, or the mountainside, or the or the something like that. I, I'm, I, uh, I'm not exactly sure of the King James how it words it, but but the idea is it doesn't say why it mentions that. Some people link that with these 500 people that he appeared there. They were on the mountainside because it's very very common to either go to a mountain and have them set like that, and you'd be kind of like all these pews going up the mountain, or on an edge of a lake where then they would go out on a boat, and it was just like having a microphone. So that's very common. So Jesus comes in, and they're all up on that mountain. They were gathered, but I'm telling you, there's no other place in all of Scripture that says 500. The, the amazing thing is that Jesus came and appeared in the midst of 500 people. He began to show over those 40 days. Paul tells us here for the first time, think about it, 500 plus We're listening to the Savior preaching and speaking and explaining. Is anybody hungry to hear the Savior's voice? (laughs) Oh, something about it. I don't know. Some of you seem like you're just so, uh, you know, man, oh, I got to have a Taco Bell. But I want to tell you something. There's something about the thought that Jesus could step in. And there he is. And look, we're listening to Jesus himself. And he's speaking with nail-scarred hands and his feet and his side. We know so because when he appeared to Thomas, he appeared to all the disciples. One time he appeared to seven. Then he appeared to ten. Then he appeared to eleven. Then he appeared to twelve. Not less than six times he appeared to the apostles. And then over and over he appeared to the women. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He kept coming. Then he 500 on maybe a mountainside somewhere. Jesus was everywhere. I want to tell you something, folks. There were many proofs and evidences that Jesus came out of that grave. So here is a man. He's beaten, he's crucified, and he's died. And then he appears again. He comes back. And not merely a ghost passing by. Oh, was that really Jesus? No, no, many times Jesus appeared. To Mary Magdalene. Some accounts leave the women out of the of the telling. And the reason for that is I'm almost done. The reason for that was there were times in the ancient world where women were not considered valuable enough. So certain cases, if you're building this case, okay, I'll just tell you the men here. There they were. But if I'm going to give you the whole account, then I'm going to tell you some of them were this. And this is the way the Christians built a case against slavery. They, begin, they didn't just come out and, and, and get themselves slaughtered because they opposed things in the government. They stood for things on principle. So when they begin to preach how slavery was improper and wrong, and it began to get built into the fabric of their minds and their lives, exactly like the doctrine of the resurrection. I'm going to, I'm going to give proofs here. Here were the women that came in and, and, and they saw Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us in uh, Mark 
chapter 16, he says the angel was in the tomb and, and, and the believers were all excited. And the angels told them inside the empty tomb, it's okay. He's risen. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't get too upset here. And, 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 uh, but look over there, the angel said. Now I'm, being, I'm not quoting ESV or King James or anything. I'm just being simple. I know the angel didn't say, look over there. I'm just being simple. The angel said, look over there. That's where they laid Jesus. That's where Jesus was. The angel was actually excited about it. The angel was excited. The angel wasn't worried about Taco Bell. The angel was thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ, here are his disciples. These are the people that he shed his blood for. The angels were not being redeemed. It was humanity that was being redeemed. So that's the place where they laid him. And the ESV says, but go, says to the women, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. You go tell them. It's very important that it was the women that saw him. Because everybody has an equal place before the risen Lord. He doesn't look at the color of your skin. He makes no difference in anyone. Someone has said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so go tell the disciples, he tells the women, and Peter, that he's gone before you. There you will see him just as he told you. Remember that it is psychologically impossible. Now listen to me. Proof. For whole groups to hallucinate the same hallucination. It is not possible. I'm not, I'm not talking as a preacher. I'm talking uh, as reading the, the, the accounts of, of uh, experts in psychology. You cannot, even Hitler could not produce, and he could produce a lot of things. There's such thing as, because there's all these theories, well, group this, and, and, and Hitler could get people to go kill people and so on. Yes, yes, yes. You can do that. You can do that. You can get whole groups of people to jump up and, and say, woo, and do something stupid. Because it's called group psychology. You can do it. I've had even people say, you Pentecostals. I said, we well, have yeah, a do with the presence of God. Oh, that's just group psychology. And I said, how would you know? You've never, you've never been there. Well, I just know. I know group psychology. I said, no, there's a huge difference. You see, you've already judged it, and that is your problem. You need to first be there, and then you can make a judgment. You need to first walk into the presence of God. Church, I want to tell you something. There's a whole lot of people that are waiting to see Jesus because he's alive. He's alive right now. He's alive, and the devil hates it. So you can't get whole groups to hallucinate the same thing. Someone said, well, Christians believe it because they want to. But that's a double-edged sword because atheists don't believe because they don't want to. We're not talking about psychology here, my friend. Can I say this? The real power and impact of Jesus coming up out of that grave is that it gives us our hope of salvation. Some of you are going to see your mother. Some of you are going to see your father. And you know why you have that hope? Because Jesus came out of that grave. Some of you are going to see things happen. There's going to be a resurrection. And God has given you faith. I wonder if we could stand together right now. And I thank you for letting me preach my heart tonight. I wonder if we could lift our hands. And as the musicians are coming, I wonder if we could just praise him for just a little bit. Father, we thank you because we have a hope that is beyond the grave.
Lord, I know that whatever happens, those skin worms destroy my flesh, yet I will trust him. Hallelujah. I'm believing God because Jesus suffered. Suffering, oh God, as difficult as it is, can be explained because there, if there is a resurrection, then there surely is a heaven. And we are getting ready to go there. That's what it's all about. And we thank you, Lord. I wonder if we could do something now I preached a message I haven't just I haven't just been trying to work you up I'm preaching tonight on purpose I, you don't don't tell me don't write me don't want to know if you liked it I'm preaching what I believe God wants me to preach now here's what I want us to do tonight you don't have I'm not saying you have to do it I'm asking you to do it I want you to pray tonight for the lost for your family I would like you to do this. I don't want to even know. I don't care if you want to. I don't care if you want to uh, clip your nails. I have no problem with it. Here's what I want you to do. I'm asking you to do it. If you can trust with me tonight that Jesus went all the way to Calvary for their soul. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your grandson. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a wife or a husband or or a mother or a, a daughter or maybe it's a granddaughter. Somebody. And you're believing God. I wonder if you could come with me right now. And I want us to lift them up before God. And say, Lord, I want them to know the risen Lord before it's too late. More than anything in this world, I want that person to know the risen Jesus. I want them to feel the very presence of God. Not an emotion. Emotion's okay. But not an emotion. I want them to feel the very presence of God. I want them to know salvation. I want them to know the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, by many infallible proofs tonight, Lord, we know that you're coming. We know that we don't have a long time. We've heard it already tonight, but we know that we have a Savior that conquered death. Lord, you conquered the grave so you can conquer sin that binds our loved ones. Come on, let's lift our hands together and let's pray together. Father, right now, that's it. Come on, let's plead the blood for our loved ones. In Jesus' name, we pray for each and every loved one, oh God. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for our city government, our leaders. We pray for our nation. I pray that the risen Lord will appear before us. Hallelujah. No, not just invisible sight with nail-scarred hands, but appear before us in the glory of the Spirit. Lord, I already believe you don't have to show me your hands. I already believe it. I need somebody else to have that hope and know there really is a heaven. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus. Lord, that's our desire tonight. God, I pray for loved ones. Come on, that's it. A little bit, little bit more. I just feel like we got a breakthrough coming. Father, I pray that you'll touch our teenagers. You'll touch our young folks, our young marrieds. And Lord, that they'll get a passion, Lord, to reach our city. To let other people know that there really is a truth. Lord, there really is a God. There really is a Lord. That he came as a man. He was rejected, but he rose. He rose up from the grave. Hallelujah. Couple of you, Brett men, come and help me pray right here for Jacques. I want, in my behalf, I want you to just pray for Jacques right now. He told me he has the Holy Ghost. I want you to pray for him. God will refill him and bless his life. Some of these young people, do you feel led to just lay your hands on somebody? Would you do that for a minute? I'm not going to hold you. I just feel like we need to just turn it over to Jesus. But right now, I praise you.